WFIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Anne Chiapetta. Welcome to The Art Parlor Podcast, a place where visually impaired artists and audiences thrive. Check us out on www.friendsinart.org. Tonight's guest is journalist and KFAI radio show host, Sam Jasmine. Sam Jasmine has been hosting the Disability in Progress radio show since 2006. Prior to this, she was engineering for the longtime Disabled and Proud program. She is an assistive technology instructor for Braille note takers and other accessible technologies. Sam's writing is featured regularly on KFAI's blog. And one of the recent posts that I read was uh, the 2021 International Women's Day. She is also the designer and manufacturer of the Audio Dark Master. So everybody, welcome, Sam. Hey, welcome, Sam. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to have you with us. So, Sam, this is Annie. What is the Audio Dart Master? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Audio Dart Master is an accessible dartboard. So, did you actually design it and everything? You have a patent for it? So, the boards originally, some people got together and wanted to play accessible darts. And they thought that they could be on a fair playing ground with sighted people, but they Mm -hmm. needed somebody to create the board. So before me, as far as being there, somebody in like, I don't know, I think it was 91 or something like that, did one of those big arcade boards. They convinced Arachnid to go and and do about 50 of those boards. They were very large and very expensive. And so leagues started popping up around the world because they were fully accessible. When I finally got there, the boards started to die. And I thought, wow, what are we going to do? It seems a shame to have this kind of, this sport or recreational, you know, ability to be taken away. So those boards were way too expensive and they weren't really being made much anymore. So I knew somebody, I had a partner who um, had just lost his job. <laughs> so I had this great idea that we could just design, take a home board, something that everyone could own and design it to be accessible. So he's like, well, write up a plan. And so I wrote up a plan of what I wanted. And, you know, we picked X amount of games off the internet and we made them accessible. I did the recording and he did the engineering as far as helped with the, he did the soldering and everything. And we put together a board with a home board. It was already being made. It was a 650 Cricut Pro, but we took all the stuff out of it basically and put our own stuff in. And so we sold them, started about 2008 or so, maybe 2009 and had a small hiccup in the road, but it looks like we might recover that. So hopefully we'll be up and running again very soon, but we have like 150 boards out now. Wow. I, I, you know, when I read this in your bio, I was like, wow, we don't know Sam very well. <laughs> we need to get to know Sam better. 
So um, I, th- I think it's fascinating. I love darts. I've played darts ever since I was a kid. Oh, and yeah. I was, yeah, I was always visually impaired and I, I could never, I never really won because I could never really see the board well enough, but I always had fun. So that was very interesting to me just in terms of ingenuity and creativity. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. So moving along, how did you get into radio? What What's, what's your history <laughs> with radio? And, <laughs> um, well, long, long time ago. <laughs> when yeah, I was young, yeah. I always liked doing, you know, voiceover stuff for radio stuff. And I knew a handful of broadcasters and they used to call me up and say, hey, you want to do a bit with me on the air? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we would do that. I would do it often and actually appeared with some pretty known DJs as far as like doing little bits with them. And one of a friend of mine said, you know, you should really go into radio. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, you should, you should. And so I went and did a tape. He actually helped me do a tape. So I went to the radio station that he was working at and did a tape mm-hmm. and submitted it to Brown Institute. He used to, that used to be in Minneapolis. That um, And they're like, yeah, you should come and, and go to school here. So I went to school. I left music. I was into music at the time going to college for music. And I went into broadcasting. And so I completed broadcasting there and did, I put out a fair amount of tapes and got really good response. There was a problem because it was this catch 22. Generally, when you finish in radio, you know, when you graduate, you are expected to go into small market radio, which means Mm -hmm. you're, you're going into a small town where there are several disadvantages for somebody, especially with a visual disability. Number one, there is no buses. There are generally no trains. Um, You will depend on people to get you to and from grocery stores or wherever you want to go. And generally you get the crummy shifts. Well, at that time I had just had a baby and I was not looking forward to doing overnights. (laughs) The other problem is I kept landing these really great interviews in media market radio, (laughs) but then I'd show up and they're like, oh yeah, you are green. Okay. We, we come back in two years when you, after you've had just one job, come back. And I'm like, so I was getting very discouraged and I was at a crossroads and got the call that makes one always think about, do they want to take the jump? It was a small market station near the twin cities. And he said, I like your tape. You've got the job. Come. I said, but when would I work? Like, what would be my schedule? And do you have any idea? Would I have any decision on this? And he's like, well, I have an overnight slot. I need a filler. Uh And I thought to myself, I just had a baby. Overnights and having a baby does not go well. What would I do during the day? (laughs) Um, I would have to walk everywhere. And Generally, I love walking. I do it all the time. However, in winters in Minnesota, we do not walk in a small town because you would die. And so I did my, you know, calculations of what I would make and how I would any insurance, there'd be no insurance coverage. And so I said, I'm sorry, I I can't. And I thank my son every day for that (laughs) because. I had several classmates who were female in the field and all of them 
every one of them said, you know, we, you know, we were so excited to get our first job, but we're always kissing males' butts, so to speak. And, and it's always <laughs> the males that are the boss and they are always telling us what to do. And we don't really have a big, you know, this was a while ago, granted. Now you have great women who are much more prevalent in broadcasting. Oh, yeah. And you always had some, sure. some women who were real prevalent, but not tons like now. So I was like, you know, I would not be good at being bossed around. I have a feeling that I would have been fired away early <laughs> and I've never been fired in my life. So I'd like to keep that going. So I said, well, I'm going to go and get, you know, a crummy job, but have accessible transit and have insurance and have right. everything I need to have. Um, fast forward just a couple years from then, if it's okay for me to keep going. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I actually want to stop you. How old is your son now? Oh, I can't tell you that because then that would give you a clue of how old I am. <laughs> and I tell everyone I'm 29. So, oh, okay. you know, right. Aww, if, if it's okay, you can get away with it. You've got a if, very if, young sounding voice. Oh, yeah. thank you. So anyway, fast forward there. A friend of mine said, hey, Sam, I have something for you. I don't know if you want to do it, but I have something for you. I have a friend who she does a show on disabilities topics and she is in a wheelchair and she does not engineer the board and her engineer is leaving her. And it was a station I'd never heard of. It was a 501c3 and it was not paid. <laughs> oh. And so I said, um, okay, but you know, it was, it was an hour every week, which is a, it's a false, you know, thought because it's never just yeah. an hour. Yeah. Every week. And so I said, well, I would try and I would see what she wanted. And so I went for her, she was doing these interviews and there were two other women who showed up and they both were cited. And I thought, uh oh, here we go. <laughs> and we were doing the one upsman game. You know, someone was saying, well, I can be available for whenever you need me. And I'm thinking, Poof, that locks me out because. I am a single mom and I cannot be available whenever you need me. And the other woman was talking about something else, which I cannot remember now. And she said, okay, well, you guys will have to go through training, you know, for, to learn how to operate the board and it will take a while. And I realized, I realized what I had. I said, well, I have my own license and I already know how to operate these boards. I was in. So sometimes it really is what, you know. Usually I say it's who, you know, <laughs> and how you get your information, but sometimes yeah. it is what, you know, and I was able to do that. And I was, I say just the engineer, but I did do a lot of different parts and I did occasionally get to interview. And so I this, did, I'm sorry, this was the, um, disability uh, and the dis this was uh, disabled dis and proud, dis disabled and proud. How long did that show last? Oh, geez. I think she lasted. If I can remember, let's see. I started doing it, oh my, 94, 95, something like that. And so she lasted like 10, 11 years. Wow. And that are, was, are, there, are there archives on that? Or? Um, I'm working on getting those archived. 
It hasn't yeah. been yet, but I'm hoping to get those. It, our station is very new to doing podcasting. I don't know why it's taken so long, but my goal is to get back to some of that. But I have to carefully choose what sure. gets archived for now. But I, yeah, I do yeah. plan on pushing that. So yeah, okay. That so was where. Yeah. So where are we up to now, time wise? Like on your time? Well. I was able to get in and do this. It was always pre-recorded. And at the time, I can tell you how we came live. It was all my fault. Actually, <laughs> it, it came live my first time. I, I went in to engineer all by my well, not all by myself, but I ran everything myself. And I was very nervous because I said, you know, I can handle this equipment. Well, you're supposed to say that. The truth is, all equipment is different. You never know what you're walking into when you hear there's a new board or something. It can be laid out differently. There can be different you know, things about it. The basics were there, but I also had to work a reel-to-reel tape player, which was really um, dated. So wow. I was doing that and pre-recording it my first time with no help. And I got nervous because I didn't feel like I was hearing the usual sounds that I should hear. And the person who was training me actually was in the room and I'd look at her and I'd point to the reel to reel. And she, you know, I was in engineering, so I didn't have a microphone and she would, would put her hand on my shoulder and she'd whisper, it looks fine. looks fine. And I'd wait for a while and I was nervous and I would, also, I just felt wrong. It just felt wrong. And I would shake my head and point to her and point to the reel to reel, like, no, something's wrong. And she'd say, no, you're fine. So um, after the whole thing, we stopped and I went back and I rewound it and I went to listen and I heard nothing. And I must have had the funny look on my face because she went to check and she's like, uh oh. And the person who would, who had done the whole interview, along with the um, the guest, were busy talking. And finally, they figured out we were quiet. <laughs> and they said, what's wrong? And I said, um, I messed up. <laughs> I don't know what happened. And the trainer was really good about it. She's like, no, it was my fault. I should have caught this. Long story short, it didn't record. Or it was on a wrong setting, and it didn't record. So that was kind of a throwaway session. Good practice, though. and. Uh, we started talking about when we could do it again. Turns out everyone could make it on the day that the show actually aired. And I had to be responsible for doing the editing for the show. And I realized when they were doing the interviewing, you know, once in a while she'd stop and she'd say, I didn't mean to say that. Could you edit that? And the host of the show would say, oh, sure, we can edit that. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be here all night. They're going to be editing 30 things. It's a half hour. And at the time, it was just a half hour. It wasn't an hour. And I thought, oh, I am so in trouble. I've been off way more than I can chew. So they decided they were going to do this on the day of the show. She's like, okay, I can be in here two hours before. And I finally panicked. I said, oh, no, you don't. No, 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 no. If you guys can do this on the day of the show, we are just doing this live. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. Yes, you can. I said, you just did it. It's exactly the same, but it will be live. Exactly. Exactly. I said, no editing. Yay for me. I said, <laughs> I said you can do this. It's not a big deal. Just don't. You have to have it. It's not really a whole lot different. You know, it's it really people 
people get more nervous than they need to, including me well, still. Well, yeah, sure. Change. I mean, that was, it must've been a big change. For it everybody. was a big change. Like, like wow, right it's then. live, you know, <laughs> right then. So I said, well, let's just try it. If we don't like it, we never have to do it again. So the host agreed to that, Martha. It was Martha Haig, and she agreed to that. So okay. I was very lucky. She didn't get mad at me. At least I don't remember. So it must not have been that bad if she did. So we came and we did it. We did it all live and it worked awesome. And she's like, oh, I was so nervous. I never want to do that again. I said, you just said it, w- it went great. And she said, it did, but I never want to do it again. I said, yes, you do. Because that's how we're going to do it. She's like, no, wait, we can't do that. Yes, we can. This is how we're going to do it. I'm a single mom. I don't have all that time. We can do this. So reluctantly, <laughs> she, I think she really did realize that you. it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you got to push people on, into these uncomfortable things. Yeah. To get them to. And it was the same right? for me. You know, I had yeah. to make sure all the mics were good. All the headphones were there. I had to make sure I was ready. You know, I had to be on too. So, yeah, but it worked. And, and from then on. It's, yeah. You know, so you still have that little thrill every time you go live. It's like, oh, we're live. Like I have mixed just- things. Well, now, you know, it's a little different. We are now an hour. We're no longer a half hour. So the show changed names. Once she left, I kept it the same for a while because I respected the work that she did to get it on to begin with. Oh, um, I see. And so I kept it okay. that way for a while. And then when we, um, I decided, you know, this just isn't me. I want to show that the name more carefully represents me. And I always I love wanted- the name Thank of disability you. and progress. I really do. And I um, love your tagline and, yeah. and your little, yeah, I love it. So she- Hi, this so, is Mike. Um, go ahead. You mind if I ask a question? It's, it's Mike Mandel. In working with the mixing boards, uh, did you use any- markers or dymo tape or dots or anything like that to uh to mark unity gain or any other settings in broadcast or did you just do it entirely by the way it felt so what i marked was what was what i marked the pods right so cd1 cd2 we had three cd players three tape players three turntable or two turntables um four or five mics we had several things so i marked all my stuff so i could quickly touch as for the where the levels should be i generally guessed i had an idea of you know the level of the song and i measured finger widths um, with, the, gotcha. with the pods that this should be about this many finger widths from the top. And that's how I did it. And most of the time, about, it was well, good. Well, what did you mark uh, with? What did you use to mark the bikes and so on? Dymo tape or dots or your no, own system? I used Dymo tape. I used okay. that. I put that on the pods and then I marked each mic had a little label on it because sometimes these crazy engineers do goofy things. Like even though you have a mic right in front of you, they reach across the table, grab another mic and they change the mics. I'm like, why would you do that? But Hey, I'm not there. So all the time. So I <laughs> can't answer for them, but okay, then I always knew which mic with what level. So in, in intimate knowledge of whatever it is of whatever equipment you have is uh, it sounds like you, you just need to know at the touch of a finger. Um, and I, I so admire that. I really do. Thank you. Yeah. I have a silly question for you. 
No question is silly. No, uh, well, it's kind of silly because I want a silly answer, but you don't have to give me a silly answer if it's not silly. What are some of the funnier moments during broadcasting? Like, uh, do people trip over wires or, you know, or did did things just kind of get out of hand? Do people play tricks on each other? Oh, well, me screwing up that first time recording was pretty funny, Uh, although it was I was horrified at the time. Actually, there was a crazy incident that happened. Well, there were probably several, but one that vividly sticks in my memory at the time, the plug for the entire board was under the table (laughs) in the middle. You might know where I'm going. So Uh people are just kind of crazy. Some people kick around and do all this stuff. And so one time I'm working everything and, and the interview is going on and all of a sudden there's nothing, there's nothing. I can't figure it out. It's like an, an alarm kind of goes off and I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? And somebody comes in the studio and says, Hey, there's nothing on air. There, <laughs> there's nothing going on over the air. And I'm like, um, I don't know what's wrong. I'm checking all my stuff. It should be working. There's, I can't figure it out. And so. I bring, I run down, I happen to find that there's a, the, one of the big engineer people is still here. He's not sure what's wrong. And actually he's not really, he's kind of an engineer, but he's also the news person. And I said, well, we, we got to do something. We call the manager, you know, the, the person who is the head of the station, they, they, um, they're not answering. So we leave a message. (laughs) Somebody's supposed to be on call. We have no idea why no one's answering. So I'm trying to figure out what I should do. And I remember there is a way there's a second studio and there's a way you can flip the, the station so that you can run it to the second studio. And I remembered that, but I had no bloody idea how to do that again, because I, I mean, I heard it once, but it, you know, you never do it. So you forget. And the book was not in Braille. It was in print, of course. And so um, I run out. I know the news person is here somewhere. I'm like, I can get him to read to me the book and we can figure it out. While the dude is out in the entrance, we had a soda machine. He's loading the soda machine. And I'm like, what are you doing? The station's off the air. He says, I know, it's stressful. He's like, I de- I'm de-stressing. You're loading a soda machine. He says, yeah, I know. It's my way of distressing. I'm like, oh, my God. I realize I'm the only one who's freaking out. So my partner is there at the station. I'm like, come here. And we go into the station. I said, you got to read this the- find in this book how to flip the the studio. Now, I want to backtrack just a minute because the chief engineer of the station and I were always headbutting, always. I wanted to plug things in that would give me more feedback on how, you know, meters were sounding and things. He didn't like that. I was labeling the board and everything. He didn't like that. He was constantly upset with me. I was constantly pushing at him saying, you have to, this is ADA. I'm doing it. We were always fighting. So now I'll jump back to my story and say, so my partner found the spot and told me what to do. And I did it. We just went and flipped the station and the next crew was coming in to do their show. I said, you got to go in the other studio and you can go in and and do it. And sure enough, they did it. Uh How long did this take? All this crazy running around? Well, it took the rest (laughs) of my show time and then it took the next half 
you know, hour wow. for me to figure out or well into it. So I'm saying, I'm thinking it probably really did take 20 minutes, maybe a little more, but I, I was pretty panicked. It seemed to stretch on forever. You know, when you're nervous so, and yeah, you're, you know, yeah. it seems like every, every second is like three minutes or something. So I don't even yeah. know if I know, I, I think I left a message saying, I, I put this studio in this next, the other studio, but I said, I'm very upset that no one's answering the phone. <laughs> and I somehow the chief engineer heard the message and he found out that I flipped the studio. And all of a sudden I had this huge respect from him. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. He never oh. fought me on anything again. Pretty much if Sam wants something marked. We'll find a way to get it marked. And it was just like, I don't know what happened to him, but it was this day and night thing. It's like, you know, when you go in to prove yourself and you do yeah. better than you thought and you prove the other person wrong that you can do what you're supposed to do, that must have been all it took. And um, from then on, we got along really well. And in fact, I will just say one more thing about that, that recently and within the last, I don't know, five, six years, the station had to make a change with the boards. And a lot of times now there's so much touchscreen stuff. And I was yes. nervous because I was thinking they're going to push me out of engineering. I'm going to be stuck with all touchscreen. I don't know how to do it. And they won't make sure it's accessible and I'll be in trouble. And that dude went to bat for me and said, we are not changing. We're going to make sure that the board, it has slide up pods so you can use it. He fought to make sure that everything was accessible for the most part in that studio, except for the computers, but we are now working on that. So that's wonderful. I mean, that's, yeah. that's like the silver lining in the, in the conflict, you know, sometimes conflict makes things better, you know, it improves things, you know? Yes. Uh, well, it's not so totally accessible for me yet, and- <laughs> but it, it's, it's coming more. So I'm, yeah. I have feelings of hope that there'll be more accessibility once, and I'm not doing the show in the studio now right. for the whole time of the COVID, of COVID. deal, I mm-hmm. did it from home and I had an engineer. I was lucky enough to have an engineer who would go in and do They had very few engineers. They had to select few that they would let in and they would oh, allow them to, you know, run yeah. the board while people were doing their shows from home. Wow. And so I was lucky enough that I had that, but now they're starting to download accessible things on the computer. And so right. I'm looking forward to coming back and hopefully learning those and feeling like I can even do even more engineering on my own. That's wonderful. Yeah. We had a guest here, Fitz Martin. He's also an independent producer and engineer in, uh, in Brooklyn. And he said the same thing, you know, it's always uh, a work in progress. Just yes. when you think things are okay, they change something. Yes. Not adjust again. <laughs> and and <laughs> not always for the better. <laughs> yeah. So let's change gears a little bit. I want to know a little bit about like your your music appreciation. You said you were uh, pursuing music before you got into broadcasting. Um, and I'm just wondering a little bit of creativity. You know, do you do you sing? Do you play an instrument? Um, oh, I try not to let hear people hear me sing. That's scary. What? But um, <laughs> I do play. I play piano, flute, and violin. And um, uh-huh. but. I'm not extraordinary with them. And I actually, when I made the decision to jump from platform to platform with my career, as far as which, which I didn't even go into really, by the way, when I went to jump from music to broadcasting, I realized, you know, cause I had thought that I was going to be a music therapist. That was 
a thought that I wanted to do. But I felt like you really have to be, I felt like an extraordinary musician. And I just didn't feel like I was that. And I was okay with some things, but I felt not comfortable totally in that skin. And so to me, broadcasting was, I really enjoyed it more and grew with it uh, more than I think I would have done with, with music. Now I, I still do music, but it's for fun. It's, and then I don't feel pressured. Sure. And I, I do get nervous performing live. So I've had to learn to get over that, but it's much more fun to do it for fun. And which so now, how do you get how do you get over your your performance anxiety? It's always a big question. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I'm still not over it, but mm-hmm. I've. I think it's just by doing it, by performing occasionally for, you know, instructors when they ask me to join in in a performance. Then I have to work like crazy to really be secure with my piece, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't have right. any music in front of me. It's all by memory. And then I do it. I still get nervous. I still have, you know, my issues with that, but it's not, it's, it's a different nervous now, you know, now, if I, now I realize how well I have or haven't prepared for a piece, because if I have prepared well and practiced a lot, then it feels like, you know, a normal nervous, like I'm a little jittery or nervous, but it, it feels like I can do it. It's when you don't practice as much and you know you haven't put in the time that you should have put in on the piece, then you're more shaky and you fumble more and, (laughs) you know, and you get nervous. Like, well, I remember every note, my apology. I know my phone is ringing. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) we were just talking about phones and how these these cordless phones are not totally accessible. And and what did it take for them to just put in an extra little chip? Yeah. To make them talk so you can do use the menu. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but I digress. So, okay. So, so what's your go-to instrument? Is it the violin or is it the piano or is it the flute? Oh, you know, piano was what I always played mostly when I was growing up. And yeah. I don't do that as much anymore. It's usually violin or flute. And it, I think it's because it's more portable. I can hear <laughs> it with me. I can have it or not have it, you know, have it upstairs or sit on my bed and play or sit on my deck and play. So I think it's the portability that I like. It helps me, you know, kind of move myself to practice. And I don't, I don't have to feel like, oh, I have to sit at the piano in order to practice. (laughs) So what are some of your favorite pieces that you like to play? Oh. Well, the flute, I'm not as I'm, I'm getting better at. I used to do it a lot, or I used to do it a little bit in high school and college. And then I let it go for a while. Now I picked it back up again. I'm really a Bach person. I love Bach. Yeah. And so that is usually the pieces that I like to play. My teachers joke with me and say, you know, you really need to, you know, widen <laughs> your horizons. So yeah. uh, I'm like, yeah, okay. So, but that's my favorite person i think it's just well, because you play what speaks to you, you know? it, yeah and i think it because it feels so complex and sometimes it really is and it sounds sometimes like it's dancey you know i love those dancey pieces that sound so bouncy and magical mm. i agree cool. sam so, yeah peter yeah this is peter and i'm very much enjoying this interview and I, i'm wondering if you could sort of talk about preparation 
whether it be for your music, um, but especially for your radio show, when you find a guest and you agree mm-hmm. to interview this guest, what do you do to prepare for the interview besides the engineering issues? You know, just sort of preparing to actually do the actual interview. What do you, what do, you do? Well, yes, it is never just an hour. Um, <laughs> I used to do it all by myself. It was many years that I did it all by myself. And and actually, it's interesting because I, I almost quit at one point because I was frustrated by the station not being accessible, by feeling like no one really cared. I just didn't have a happy feeling like we're glad you're here type feeling anymore when I walked through the door. And I realized that I was starting to sound like that. And I had to take a real long look and think, why was I doing it? And it sure wasn't for fame because you don't get famous doing this. <laughs> I really decided that I did the show because I love to educate people. And so I started focusing on different things that I really wanted to, because there's so many disability topics out there. And I was lucky enough not to have named my show after something that was just a blind thing or a, a you know, wheelchair thing or a deaf thing or whatever. Mm, I could, I could, the sky was the limit pertaining to disabilities. And so I could go all over the place, which was much more enjoyable once I started, you know, discussing to myself what I, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, And then I worked on, I met somebody who became a good friend and she, I said, you know, I could really use help on my show. And she had retired. She moved here from Chicago and she had retired from the VA. She was a rec therapist. And I said, you're not working now. You don't want to get bored. Do you, you need to do something. So (laughs) you should help me. So I kind of prepped her and taught her to help me research. And she's part of my research team, Charlene Dahl. And she, um, she does some help with me for finding guests. So generally she may be one of the people who contacts the guests and helps me schedule them, first of all. And then once I get them on a schedule, you know, you, you figure out a topic and the person and and then it's diving in to find out about the topic. So you have to do a little bit of research. Sometimes if it's so far off and I just don't know where to begin, I might nudge the guest and say, hey, give me a place to go to find out about this or tell me some things about, you know, especially if they're if it's something they're doing, what do you want to cover? So I make them get involved in the process. Sometimes I do a lot of different topics. Sometimes it's on a disability topic itself. Sometimes it's on a disease and medical stuff. Sometimes it's on authors. Sometimes it's on musicians. So it's all over the place. And so depending on what it is, I prep differently. When I have to do, we'll say for an author, I will read the book and then I will look at the book and try to formulate questions from that book on, you know, what I might want to know. Why do they write it this way? What do they mean when they say all these different things that they said in their book? If it's a about characters, I might ask about how they developed the characters or why they wrote that book or how many they've written. It's all types of different things. So there's preparation that goes. And then I've been an engineer long enough now that it's not, well, somebody's doing it for me now. So so it's kind of sad because I'm not doing it. But once I get back there, I'm sure the jitters will start 
just for a little bit, just getting myself reacquainted. But you come into the studio, you sit down, you know where everything is. The board is the board. It's there every week. You know, it's not nothing's, you know, for the exception if the lone engineer who sometimes we do have those comes in and flips a switch and switches all the pods around, then you want to find them and kill them. But other than that, you you know where things are. And so all should go well. So thank you for that. That's that's really helpful. And I, um, my sort of follow-up question is, can you talk about what we authors can do to better support you in your work? You know, so you agree to interview us. <laughs> what, what, what can we do or any or any guest you know yes any guest so what can any guest do to make your life a little easier so i will tell you i have a whole i have like four or five things i can tell you so first of all guests are always loved because that's what makes the the show go right so when you suggest other guests that's always good coming prepared is really essential I have had a guest and they called me and said, I think you should interview me because I want to talk about blank. And wisely, I said, you know, well, give me some things. I mean, I that's a pretty broad topic. Give me a little outline of what you'd like to talk about. So I said, submit like 10 things to me. Usually I can branch off of 10 things. So it's not really a problem. And she did. And the problem was, I should have spent a little more time with her. She came in. It was like somebody else wrote those 10 things oh. she had. And and what was really sad <laughs> is that I had a hiccup with transportation and did not make it to the studio that night. And my poor research girl, Charlene, had to do the end. She's like, I got this. You gave me the questions. I got it. And so she was not used to picking somebody up if they just could not handle themselves on the air. And I felt so bad for her. She she lasted for about 20, 25 minutes out of the hour. And she finally said, okay, I think this is good. <laughs> and they went to music. Oh, wow. so, but, but, you know, there's always some of those things you don't ever know who you're really going to get. You know, you might get somebody who sounds great and they have all good intentions of what to speak from. And then they get on the air and maybe they're excellent or maybe they're all over the place. and You kind of got to rein them in or maybe they freeze and you have to pull everything out of them. And those are the most, what I call painful interviews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I have, I have had to do those. Yes. Because yeah. you just, you're, you're looking at the time and you're thinking, come on, 10 more minutes. Come on. 10, 10, 10 more. Come on. 10 more minutes. Come on. <laughs> so, so you can come prepared. Uh, some of my favorite interviews are when I get the interview and I think, okay, now I got to do this research. And one of the people steps in and she says, you know, I did an outline for you. You don't have to use it, but, uh, and then she comes back and she says, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do your work for you. And I'm thinking you just did my work. And I am thrilled <laughs> because now you saved me about an hour and a half of time. So she did, you know, they, so I love when people come with outlines, when they come with what they want to talk about, as long as they're not, you know, steadfast and I don't want to deviate from this. And then I've got some ideas too, that I want to make sure that I feel like it needs to be. I've had that too, where I do the, up the whole outline. And I said, this is what I'd like to cover. Can you find me somebody who covers this? 
And I had them come back and say, yes, this is the person I'm going to have talk about this. And here's our outline. And it's totally different than mine. And it's boring. And it's horrible. I, I like, I would never, it's, it feels like you're, you know, talking down to whatever. I'm like, oh, come on. You got to make it more interesting. I said, no, you don't understand. I gave you an outline and that's what I intend on using. <laughs> I do implement theirs too, but I want to make sure that you, you, you do have to keep your listener base interested. Otherwise they leave. Yeah. So what is your listener base? How many people does, do you have on a weekly basis? Do you, do you get that data? I don't, I don't really get that. I think the station has that. They pay attention to it much more closely than I, I decided a long time ago that I wasn't going to, I have an emailer with over 120 people on it from all over the place and it grows. So I, and you know, grows and it shrinks and it grows and it shrinks, but I send out every week and I decided that I, it's not, I mean, it's so great if you want to say, you know, I have, you know, 45,000, whatever you want to say of people that, that run across our website every week or, but it, that doesn't really tell you anything, you know, it doesn't tell you if they heard the whole show, it doesn't tell you, you know, what they think of a lot. And there's so many different ways to listen. Now you can listen live. And if you're listening via radio, unless somebody polls you, you wouldn't know. And there's the smart app on your phones that they can track. Uh, you can listen with that, or you can listen via podcast. Right. And we also have archives that, you know, which go into podcasts. So there's like four ways. And I just thought for me, I, I enjoy doing the show. If I get the email, you know, each week that says, you know, we really enjoy your show. And could you add me to the email list or I have a suggestion for you and it's some great person who comes on and does a great job. That's what I look forward to. That's what I consider successful on the show or somebody who says, you know what? I listened to your show for five years, driving home from my work all the time. And this was my favorite episode. That is what makes my day. Yes. I, that resonates with me so much is you, I think it was, was it you that asked me that question one time? Like, like, how do you know, you know, that you're successful with, with the mm-hmm. writing? I says, when somebody tells me that they read something and they, and they, it resonated with them or it made them feel this way, or yes. they shared it with somebody. That's what we're doing this for. Yes. It's to make, you know, make connections. Yeah. Um, so how can somebody get in touch with you to propose themselves or someone they know to be a guest on your show? Well, you can always email me at disabilityandprogress at samjasmine.com. So S-A-M-J-A-S-M-I-N-E, don't forget that E at the end, (laughs) dot com. And so as long as you go and disability and progress is all written out, no and sign, I will get the email and I love suggestions and I love people to be on the emailing list. I email it out each week. So that's always nice to be able to bring people on. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's great. So we have a couple of minutes here. Do you mind if we open it up to some of the listeners, if they have any questions for you? That's fine. Put you on the spot a little bit. I think I did that to you, didn't I? Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Payback, right? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Sam, this is Peter again. And I have a question having to do with the connection 
between your preparation for music and your preparation for the show. How do you think they're this, you know, sort of the, the process, the preparation process? What have you learned from your preparation for playing music for preparing for your show, your radio show? I see. I don't, I, you know, I actually don't think of them ever as connected. Not that they're not. I'll step back and say the only thing that I do think you have to be prepared. So that's the connection. You should either way, if you're going to play for somebody or if you're going to do this show, you need to make sure you're prepared. So in that respect, but other than that, you know, for me, music, I'm, I need to practice much more to know the piece and to memorize it on the show. It, I, I have to admit, I, I find my information and I write down the questions, but I still have them in front of me. So I haven't memorized them or anything. I've memorized some things. And as much as I prep for the show, I try not to fall into the niche of, I must write every little thing down because then I think there's something that goes away. Like you, I'm not sure if this makes sense to you, but it you kind of lose some of that spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. if you can write, you know, maybe X amount of questions that you know, if you don't find the spontaneity that you it will cover you, but know that you could branch off of any of those questions and ask other questions. And to me, that is what makes the show more exciting just for me personally, because I'm doing something different. You know, I'm not, it's not all by rote where the musical yeah. piece, when you're prepping to play something, you are really prepping how that place piece is played and you know, you're learning it yourself, but it's supposed to sound like that piece. <laughs> Otherwise people will wonder what you're playing. <laughs> oh, that's, that resonates with me about having that level of spontaneity and that, uh-huh. that you know, just that extra wiggle room or mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen and, and to, and to be able to, to just say, oh, let's go off on on this tangent for a little bit. But yeah, I, I like that too. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, I mean, this is my. I have a question. I want to go back to your dartboard manufacturer, <laughs> and um, what did you have to do to get a license, or did you to modify the original product? Ah, well, that is an interesting story. That's true. Um, so I called Arachnid at the time that we did, you know, first we're going to do it. And I tried to find somebody there who did the original boards so that they could understand what I was doing. Cause I figured they would be like, you're doing what with our boards. And I managed to find one last person there. And I said, I want permission to, take this and alter the boards and do blah, 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 and not get in trouble for it. And he just kind of laughed at me and said, you want us to not get mad at you for altering the boards. And that will make everyone stop coming to us and asking us when we are going to make more accessible boards, which we don't want to do to begin with. So have at it. And so shortly after that, though, they sold their home line and I had to go yet to another carrier and said, this is what I want to do. Are you okay with this? And he said, well, what do you want from us? I said, I want you to sell me dartboards. (laughs) He said, as long as we're not, you know, we don't have to support the warranties. That's on your deal. You do what you're going to do. So they actually wrote us a letter saying that it's okay. And that's what we've been working on so far, you know, buy. So 
it's been, I mean, it, it was pretty loose leaf as far as, but that's what we have and, and nobody's complained. So it's, it's all good. Right. Yeah, it's a win-win. Yes. They sell so boards. Sounds like, we yeah. get to have our, we get to sell boards too. That's cool. Tell us about that. If you would, how, how would people obtain your boards? Well, we have audiodartmaster.com and you can also email me at audiodartmaster at samjasmine.com. But right now we're working on, because they changed things in the boards with the few select things that we did use. So we are working to try to get those remedied so we can use them and start creating again. So we have to, I'm not going to promise anything, but hopefully this summer will be, you know. Yeah. You have to let us know because that would be something we'd like to, uh, you know, I mean, I know personally, I'd like to check it out and uh, maybe some other people and we have, um, you never know, we might have a New York uh, team. Oh, I think you should get one. Yes. I would love to hear that because that's, that's a lot of fun. I can, I can send some Jersey guys over. They, I have uh, people in Jersey that play. Oh, do you? Yes. Oh, okay. We we have to talk. We have to talk, um, do a sidebar at some point in the future and check okay. that out. Um, okay. um, so <laughs> if nobody else has questions, I did want to um, make a final announcement that, you know, most of the people that are listening right now know that Sam is going to help us guest the showcase. So I'm re- really excited about it. I guess this is our, our official announcement. Sam, do you have anything to add about that? Oh, thank you for asking me to do this. You're welcome. Hey, hey, Annie. Yeah. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with the showcase, can you say a few words about what the showcase is? Sure. Uh, the Friends in Art Annual Showcase is a, uh, I guess, a variety show for a blind and visually impaired artists and musicians and poets and comedians to uh, to send in a piece uh, for five minutes or less, uh, and then we put it all together and it's audio edited and. We have co-hosts that take everybody through the program. It's a big hit, and it's a tradition of ACB uh, to to do during um, ACB's annual convention and conference. And uh, I'm just really excited about it. It's a lot of fun. It takes a lot of teamwork, but it's just so uh, so satisfying to hear the talent. That's always awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a great event. So we hope, and it will be uh, a broadcast the. Uh, Friday night, July 16th, I believe at 8 p.m. East Coast time on ACB Radio. So we hope that you will listen to us as part of the ACB conference and convention. Yeah, and it'll be podcasted for, um, for re- and it possibly would be, maybe even be rebroadcasted at some, you know, never know. They usually um, are. They usually, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Annie, so. this is Anne. I've got a quick question. Sure. <laughs> Sam, how do you choose, do you, is the theme music for your show original <laughs> no, no. That I actually switched the theme music. The original theme music was a song from uh, South Africa. I think she used to say a, a song of protest and praise. It was called Freedom, and I just decided it was it's a more l- slower, laid back song, and that was fine. But but mine is the <laughs> it's from a Nickelodeon show called The Thornberries. Um, wild thornberries, I think it's from. yes, that's right. Um, so that that is where that is, but I wanted something kind of fast paced and something that more represented what I wanted, how I wanted the show to flow. 
Oh, that yeah. Okay, so I was I was curious about that because I'm a podcaster, and when you talked about you have outline, well, I don't do outlines, but when <clears throat> I have a few questions that I ask, and then the rest of it is based on how the conversation goes. I I, I can identify with that. Mm. So, Sam, I have a question for you that has a personal slant to it. Uh, when you did my interview with the book, um, I was startled that you asked me about the essay about redwoods and chameleons. You remember that that piece I wrote about I music and the various different, you know, the sort of the musical redwoods versus yes. chameleons. And I was I was delighted you asked the question, and I'm curious to know what you what struck you about that piece, and and how did that sort of shape the way you view music, if at all? Well, I am not, I, I don't, I would love to have more time to do whatever I want, but I don't. And have always managed to keep myself way more busy than I should be. At some point, I keep telling myself, I'm going to have more time to just, you know, to play around musically and do what I want to do. Right now, I'm just so limited by my time factors that I do and enjoy, you know, finding a piece that I like to hear and playing it. But I understand your concept. At the time, I wasn't sure how you chose, but I, you know, when you explained it, I understood. I was like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. But for me, I'm, I'm not a, at this point, I'm not a creator. I play people's, you know, things like Bach and hope that they sound decent coming from me. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. And then something you said struck me, and I think Annie too, the idea of, you know, those people you have to drag information out of, mm. you know, what do you try to do to make it easier for people to, you know, to, to be good interviewees, you know, who to lose yeah. them a little bit. To, yeah, to be authentic with you. Yeah, you yeah. Know, to, to get them relaxed enough to have stuff off the cuff or, uh, you know, be vulnerable. That's interesting. You know, I don't know what I do. Okay. I, 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 I do. Well, <laughs> well we well, know you do it because well, we've, we, we've been interviewees and, and, it, and we we're like, wow, she has some great questions. Like sometimes, we, yeah. well, it's different with an author as opposed to like, you know, some people don't want me to be intimate with them or, or, mm. you know, to ask those questions. They want to just talk about what they're there to talk about. And other people are so different. And I think, I've gotten so used to you. You spend such a short time with the person. You know, I don't, I often don't even talk. Like if I interview in regards to a disease or to about COVID vaccines or something like that, I don't even get to speak to the doctor until bang, they're there right there. So there's Mm. my chance to try to make them feel comfortable because it isn't going to happen earlier. So if I lucky enough to get to talk to them, I, I used to see them live because they would walk into the station, you know, 15 minutes before the show. And that was excellent because then I had a chance to shake their hand and they could see me and they could t- ask me any questions. And if they were nervous, I'm like, oh, piece of cake. You know, this is going to be you're so used to giving lectures. You'll be awesome. You know, and I can yeah, tell yeah. them whatever I feel like they need to hear to just get them relaxed. And usually it works. There, it's not always a, a uh, fail, you know, it's not always successful, but usually it is. But now it's so different because you don't see them. You don't, they're right there just moments before the show. And so you're, you've got just a small minuscule of time just to, to hopefully say something that resonates with them that makes them feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a great answer. Uh, I'd be curious 
Sam, if you could talk a little bit about your upbringing and how your upbringing prepares you to do what you're doing now. Oh, my upbringing did not prepare me at all. <laughs> I have, I, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I will say that I had parents that were very hands-off parents and it was a sink or swim life growing up. And so maybe some of that did, you know, you had to work harder to, to try to get what you wanted because there wasn't going to be somebody pulling you up to give it to you. So right. that may have helped, you know, me be stronger in regards to that. I've had some lucky breaks through my life with having role models that I glommed onto when I was growing up who I thought this would be a good person. I want to, I want to be like this person or I want them to be my role model. I was very lucky to have some of those um, because I think if I wouldn't have, I don't think I would be where I am today. And nobody ever does it all by themselves. Some, you always stumble on somebody who gives you some kind of hand along the way, somehow, somewhere, whether it's through a, a high school class or, you know, I had when I loved my, my English teacher, she was amazing. And she believed in me. And I had a psychology teacher who actually trusted me with his child who had a learning disability and used to ask me to babysit. And my science teacher who, you know, had me babysit her, her autistic, well, ADHD child and all those things. And, and somebody who um, did a lot of mentoring with me as far as um, who I actually stayed with my last two years of high school, who I really respected and laid a lot of the path for me. And I was very lucky in many ways that I found people, but it, it does take, I think, a village to, to know how you want to be when you grow up. And and that go that's especially true if you don't if you have parents that are hands off. Thank you for that. That was yeah, thank you. Really interesting stuff. Well, well thank you guys. Can... I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you asking me. And I, I hope this is interesting to somebody. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, Sam, we learned so much about you and about what makes you uh, what makes you creative and what pushes you forward. And I just want to thank you so much for letting us listen to all that. I think we just, we need that. You know, we need to hear these things from each other about each other's stories. So, Well, Indeed. I thank yeah. you for, for being kind. And I have a secret admission. So, you know, you were, you were, you were, ta- you were talking to me about, you know, when I ask you guys questions and my big thrill is when I can ask somebody like an author or somebody who like uh, they know their book inside and out and they've been asked everything under the sun, a question that startles them and makes them have that like 10 second radio pause. Cause they got to think of how to answer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Then I know I've done it. Then I know I've like, wow, I made them think, okay, good. I asked them something that they don't usually get asked. Art parlor is brought to you by friends in art and ACB radio. It airs beginning every Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. To listen and for a full schedule, go to www.acbradio.org mainstream. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org and please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. 
Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.